Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Indefensive Plants podcast, the official podcast of indefensiveplants.com. What's up? This is your host, Matt. Welcome to the show. How is everyone doing this week? Are you enjoying the show? Do you like Indefensive Plants? Do you want it to have a future? Consider supporting it. There's a lot of ways to do that, but one great way that will give you something to be proud of is by picking up some of our customizable merch. You can find links over at indefensiveplants.com. Just click on apparel or navigate to the show notes. It's in there as well. But we have a lot of different really cool vintage prints on a variety of apparel items. And like I said, many of them are customizable. So go find the style that works best for you. But today I have a really special treat for you. It's rare you find this level of passion in science. I know everyone I have on here is passionate about their subject, but some people really stand out, and Dr. Jorge Santiago Blay is one of those people. He's here to talk to us about, among other things, red buds, but also why being curious and asking questions in the sciences is so important. I don't want to take any more time from him because he is truly passionate and a joy to hear from, so let's just jump right into it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Jorge. I hope you enjoy. All right, Jorge, welcome to the podcast. It is an honor to have you here. But for those that aren't familiar with your work, how about we start off with a little introduction? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is you do. So I am uh, Dr. Jorge Santiago Blay. I'm a biologist with very, very broad interest, affiliated with uh, several universities in the eastern part of the USA, as well as with the National Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C., when I said broad interest, I not only mean biology, but in the last decade or so, history of science, especially biology, and more recently, issues of education. In, in other words, the dissemination of uh, information, skills, etc., uh, particularly higher education and mm. social sciences. Uh, but my my center, my home. My home uh, base is uh, biology. I I am not a specialist. I'm a broadly trained <laughs> biologist, and I'm actually proud of it. I got into into botany since very early on. My paternal grandparents were very much into plants, into botany. Grandma had a beautiful rose and uh, pelargonium, which they are colloquially called here, as well as in Puerto Rico, geraniums, but right. they are in the genus Pelargonium. And um, Grandpa was also into um, creating uh, grafts of avocado trees, guava tree, essentially fruit trees. And every Saturday, or often on Saturdays, we would go to a source of uh, dirt and uh, bring it to our homes. It just so happens that my parental grandparents as well as uh, you know lived next door to us so i i had a lot of opportunities to <laughs> interact with uh, my grandparents and I, I i suppose i learned the love for plants from very early on my next very very strong memories is a u.s born uh professor of uh, numerous botanical courses at the University of Puerto Rico in the Rio Piedras campus. 
his name will always remain in my mind and in my heart, Roy Woodbury. And I'm going to quote here from uh, the obituary. He actually died some 21 years ago. Oh. And um, many, many uh, biologists of my generation in Puerto Rico remember Roy for his extraordinarily vast knowledge of the Puerto Rican flora, the over 3,000 species. Somebody would know them essentially by heart. That's really that's really impressive. But yeah. the quote I want to uh, to mention goes to the core of how Roy was, and I quote now: "Is remember as selfless and smiling, with an enthusiasm for botany, and will live on with his uh, spirit." And um, I remember in that in in that obituary, which I'll be glad to share the link uh, with you and all of your um, audience as well as uh, viewers in your webpage, um, we have some anecdotes uh, that really reflect who, what's, what's the, the memory of what at least I remember from uh, Roy and those are in the, in the, in the obituary but which we published uh, about 20 years ago i just cannot believe that it yeah. that so much time has elapsed um but after that i always remember roy uh, some three or four uh years ago um when my wife and i were uh walking on it on a park um here uh, close to where we live in uh, southern pennsylvania I saw a plant, a fern relative, and when I saw it, just the memory of Roy Woodbury came <laughs> to my mind. Wow. And um, it is as if, and, and I and I know this may sound a little bit crazy, but no. this really happened. It is as if Roy or I, I imagine Roy telling me, Jorge, don't forget Selaginella. <laughs> and I have never seen uh, the plant um, um, in that particular um, park, and wow. when I uh, when when we return home, I actually look it, and indeed, um, I want to say I don't want to say I was right. Roy was <laughs> <laughs> from the other side. Roy was right. It was indeed a species of uh, Selaginella. Wow. Of, of course, not the same one um, that we have. In uh, Puerto Rico is a species I had uh, I had never seen, and um, so it's very emotional to me. I almost get the uh, goosebumps. Mm. And more recently, like about uh, a month ago, one of my dearest um, colleagues in uh, graduate school in Puerto Rico, his name is Vicente Quevedo. He asked me for a favor to. Uh, try to get some images of of this uh, late 19th century German botanist that went to Puerto Rico. And his last name was uh, Sintanis. And I remember emailing uh, uh, Vicente and, and telling him, oh my God, Vicente, I don't know about you, but I can hear Roy Woodbury uh, <laughs> saying, Bricia, which is a, a bromeliad, Brisia sentinitiae, with his 
with his U.S. accent, uh, for <laughs> which which was a little bit novel to us in in Puerto Rico. Because remember, back in back in Puerto Rico, even though we are taught uh, English, our lingua franca is Espanol. So right. uh, the melody of Roy uh, Woodbury or of any a uh, native English uh, speaker is is a little bit uh, different, hmm. but that's just to highlight the to me the tremendous influence that some uh, professors can have in some uh, uh, students, and I just um, remember Roy Wood very 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 dearly. Um, I just I just uh, I just wish that. I am remembered half as fondly as, oh. <laughs> as <we remember. laughs> at least. Um, then after that, um, in uh, 1984, I um, came over to the USA to, um, so let me just uh, uh, backtrack. I was, I, I completed my bachelor's in biology at the University of Puerto Rico and then a master's uh and it was during the master's program that i began taking courses with roy woodbury even though my emphasis in the master's was in uh zoology hmm. i became curious about plants that that original seed that my paternal grandparents had uh sowed it began to germinate and with roy i really was was um uh, fascinated i remember uh when my uh, former partner and i used to walk back uh, uh used to excuse me drive uh back home i would be entertained uh driving and pronouncing you know calling the names of different trees with the pronunciation of roy uh, woodbury but affected by the announcer of the Madison Square Garden of, of uh, boxing matches. So I would say something like, uh, and this is a native, uh, this is a tree native to Puerto Rico, something like Lagerstromia Especiosa, like that, <laughs> or for the uh, Flamboyant Delonix Regia, etc. I, I don't know if the names have have uh, a change but that's my uh, memory i don't think my uh, partner at the time was necessarily thrilled uh, by that but i was <laughs> having okay. fun yeah that's all that matters uh, yeah <laughs> and so in back in 1984 i went to berkeley to the university of california at berkeley and i began my phd in entomology oh. the science of insects and their allies and um because at the time I was studying insects that were that feed on plants, I decided I thought quite logically that I better learn botany here, mm. since I I had always regretted not taking more botany classes uh, in my bachelor's. So, and of course, that would be with with Roy and with there was another excellent botanist in Puerto Rico at the time, and I really regret that but hey so much uh one can do right so on my second year at berkeley i think out of the five or six i began taking botany classes and i became 
fascinated with a world of plants, absolutely mesmerized, especially when on my third year in 19, on the spring of 1987, I took a course uh, given by Professor Donald Kaplan. Uh, and I will try to send uh, links of, of uh, some of these people that I am mentioning so that this podcast has vis- kind of like a, a, a visual um, representation of, of who these <laughs> right. people were that means so much to me. And uh, Dr. Kaplan taught plant morphology. And his reputation was, thou shall not mess with Donald Kaplan. <laughs> he had the, uh, and this, this semester I am teaching a botany course and I showed his, his, you know, his face from an image on the web. And some of the students said, uh, he looks mean, Dr. Bly. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, and I reply, he wasn't mean, but uh, you know when you saw Dr. Kaplan that thou shall not mess with him. <laughs> and so um, I remember vividly that on the 12th or 14th of March of 1987, look how I remember yeah. that when my uh, thesis, uh, excuse me, my dissertation advisor in the Department of Phenomenology um, told me that he didn't want me to take any more botany classes. I just didn't like that. So I decided to change major professor. Wow. That was a Tuesday or a Thursday. And I arrived a tad late to Dr. Kaplan's class. And I nervously walked into the room late <laughs> by 10 or so, 10 or I think it was about 10, 10, 10 minutes or so. My classmates, I remember, and I don't know why, they erupted in applause for me <laughs> arriving late, and I was even more embarrassed than, than I was. But um, after class, of course, I went sheepishly. I always talked to Kaplan to apologize for my being late. And then I explained the reason why, right, that my then major professor um, didn't want me to take his class or any other botany class. And then Dr. Kaplan was not happy uh, to say it mildly. Um, and, I, and I just told him that I am studying insects that feed on plants. I better learn botany. Yeah. But more than that, now when I go to the supermarket, I... You know, back then and still today, I I no longer see oranges or I not just see oranges or apples or flowers, red buds, whatever. I see enlarged ovaries, which is what the apple is, uh, etc. It just means so much more to me. Yeah. It's like it's like teaching anatomy after having taught after having taken a cadaver class. You're the perspective um, of the human body of the students become becomes completely different. Yeah, it's a life life changing experience. I had many many other wonderful uh, professors like uh, Berkeley, like uh, Dr. Herbert G. Baker, and um, he was a phenomenal professor, especially in plant reproductive biology. I have 
oodles of stories like um, after the Irish potato famine of the mid 19th century, he said, and that's why the Kennedys came to America. Uh, and, and on and on and on and on, so many experiences. An absolutely key person who, so uh, after a while, I um, I decided, gee, I have taken so many botany classes that I may as well try to pursue two PhDs at the same time. <laughs> I was told that Berkeley would not allow that, but that I could do, that I could have a master's. So, uh, I needed to go through the Department of Enomology to, to get that approved. Imagine, not only another class, <laughs> <laughs> another degree. Um, <laughs> and by that time, I had another uh, major, uh, uh, major uh, professor who was more sympathetic to the fact that I like to learn, <laughs> to the fact that I was paying for my own um, education. That helps. Uh, yeah, it was not him. Um, and I, I, I think for the first several years, I had, uh, economic assistance from the state of California. I just don't remember. Mm. Um, anyways, uh, my first request was denied by the, by the graduate student advisor in the department of Enomology because they wanted to get people out as far as they could. And I understand that philosophy. Sure the kind of business-like philosophy of uh, in and out as fast as, as you can. So we waited. And when I say we, I, um, I say my, uh, I mean my uh, mayor professor at the time, um, my new mayor professor and, and I. And it just so happened that that uh, uh, graduate advisor or that individual who had that um, now um, you know, back then, another professor, uh, ceased to be the academic advisor uh, and or the person who had to sign the paperwork. And my all along graduate advisor, Alexander Sandy Purcell, who always would, would with a smile laughingly and asked me, Jorge, I have to beg all graduate students to please take one more class, <laughs> but you are the only one that I have to beg to take one fewer or two fewer <laughs> classes. So he was very sympathetic, very much as, as as when you're just laughing, right? Precisely that. And Sandy, on our second attempt, signed the OKs that I could finish wow. a master's degree. So I just had one additional class to take. I had taken so many organized or help organize botany seminars, unit uh, and classes <laughs> so uh i really began liking it and um um the day of my uh graduation from berkeley in may 19, 19 uh 1990 i paraded twice i was very hesitant the <laughs> first time was for my phd and then the second time i i just don't like to to show off right sure, uh, sure. but but at, I had to make I had to make a make make a decision. Uh, am I going to parade again or not? <laughs> I said, you know, I paid a very high price for my decision. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to pursue another degree, and I decided to parade again. And 
thereafter, I have had many opportunities to keep working with plants, uh, including uh, extensive collaborations with uh, Dr. Joseph B. Lambert, formerly at Northwestern University now, well, for now many years, at uh, Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas. With him, I have been working on amber, copal, plant exudate. Some other day, if you want to shout about just that, sure. about amber, we can do that some other day. Sure. So if, <laughs> if you can put music of Jurassic Park, <laughs> that, that, that would be fine. And then at the National Museum of Natural History for, gosh, now more than two decades, or is it now three decades? Oh, my God, over three decades. I cannot believe this. <laughs> wow. Uh, I think, well, two to, two to three decades. I, no, more than two, 20-something years. I just don't remember. I have been collaborating with Dr. Conrad Lavandera, who is a curator at, in the Department of Paleobiology, which is my official affiliation at the National Museum, on uh, insect-plant interactions in the fossil record. And wow. that's another story. It's like... Ooh. Um, just the kinds of things we can glean from, you know, specimens that are like 300 million years ago, uh, or 150 million years old or more recent inside quotes, like only 50 million years ago is, is just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, currently we are working on a project analyzing the uh, patterns of egg laying in what we think are damselflies uh, that live in what we now call southwestern Canada, northwestern USA, in some fossil fossil deposits. But that's another story for wow. uh, some other day. Sure. Um, I'll be happy to tell you how I got into um, Eastern North America redbuds, if you want. Would that be okay? Yeah, that would be wonderful because, I mean, here's a tree that many of my listeners will have near and dear to their hearts. It's one of my favorites because, boy, does it just provide the much-needed splash of color after long, dreary winter days. I, I get seasonal effect disorder. So it's one of the f <laughs> first species to truly lift my spirits and make me feel like life is worth forging ahead with every spring so how did you get involved with this wonderful yeah. wonderful legume yeah very well so um this began some four years ago or so ballpark if it was before the pandemic certainly i was i i, I very much like to to do research with with uh students whether they are graduate students at Johns Hopkins University or undergraduates at uh, Penn State University or elsewhere. Um, I just have this tremendous curiosity, always asking questions, um, why things happen or, you know, you just, why questions? Um, so I asked a colleague of mine with whom I had already taken a B course, if he could suggest me a little project uh, so that we could, uh, that I could begin a, you know, some research with undergraduates at Penn State York, um, which is a relatively small campus in South Central Pennsylvania, uh, where, 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 um, where my wife and I live. And um, I said, 
Okay, so um, his, his name is uh, Mr. Sam Drogi. And Sam suggested, Jorge, why don't you study red bots and maybe the bees associated with red bots? I said, okay, that sounds good. And not only the bees, but the biology of yeah. the of the red bots. And first of all, uh, red bots tend to be so branchy that I, for me, it's tough to um, just as one individual uh, collect uh, bees in abundance mm. there. So what I decided to do was uh, something that uh, Sam also does, which is to leave buckets. And uh, not only Sam, but many other researchers leave a small buckets in my particular case, so-called uh, plastic cups, white, yellow, and blue. And as of late, I also have translucent hmm. with a little bit of uh, preservative, propylene glycol, which I affectionately like to call medicine <laughs> or little medicine, medicinita in Espanol. And um, in, rather than leaving the containers for a few hours, I decided to attach them and leave them semi-permanently hmm. and give some maintenance. And it seems that the, the cops, especially the yellow, white, and blue, uh, make bees, I'm not 100% sure of this, this is my suspicion, that um, bees uh, look at those and think, inside quotes, uh, that they look like a flower, so they go for it. Hmm. And even in the middle of the seasons, when red bugs are not in flower, they go for those cups anyway. So um, I have now only one one side uh, with these uh, cups, and in another side that we used to explore more thoroughly, um, I only have. I am only studying one, you know, one tree because some of the others and this second site is a site located in an urban mm. or or a suburban neighborhood. So neighbors have caught the red bots, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how it began by combining the bees and the biology of the red bots. And we got in contact with Dr. Teresa Crimmins the director of the USA National Phenology Network at the University of Arizona in Tucson. Teresa and her colleagues, Erin Posthumus and Samantha Brewer, have just been have been tremendously uh, supportive. And uh, we decided that we were going to create a special project called the Redbot Phenology Project. Yes. And if one Googles that, it happens to come close to the very top. I said, wow. And so uh, that collaboration began when I dared to do something that I thought was completely normal in the sciences. But uh, <laughs> it just it just so happens that some of these attitudes are not welcomed by some of our colleagues. So I decided to ask a question, something that no. I do all that I, How yeah, I dare committed you. that sin, exactly. Oh, so I ask a question uh, pertaining how often, um, no, 
Uh, so in in the in the scholarly literature of in some of the scholarly literature of red bots, there is this uh, thought, this idea that red bots, uh, like some other plants, go through cycles of big, big production, big boom of fruits and seeds called boom, right? Mm -hmm. And then followed by a by a big bust where almost no no seeds and fruits are uh, produced so and that these cycles of boom and bust happen ballparkish every two years hmm. so i dare to ask the question on a on a public site called ecolog l there are more i believe more than forty thousand members i dare to ask the question can someone point me to the data that supports that and I did it in a very respectful way, I thought. And I remember that besides the silence, because, because not only I haven't found such data, and I think my uh, colleagues at USDA uh, in uh, Morgantown, West Virginia, uh, Rick, Rick uh, Turcot, Craig Lasserner, and... Um, a former graduate student who, with whom I have worked, uh, Ms. Jessica Dixon. I think we for know the literature of uh, Eastern North America Redbud fairly well, and yet we have, haven't been able to come across the data. So I said, okay, hmm. can someone point us on the direction of the data upon which such statements of cycles of 2.2, I think, years of boom and bust are based? And Besides silence, as I was trying to say earlier, I received an email from a colleague uh, that works at the venerable um, federal U.S. Uh, federal government unit, uh, not very happy with the fact that I had <laughs> dared mm. to ask the question. Interesting. And, and so I just didn't like that. I really did not. I Normally when those emails come, I don't like to react. Sure. That's immediately I, I am not that type of individual but i don't remember even if i replied other than I, and if i did my usual reaction is very polite to the point and thank you very much uh but that really encouraged me Ooh, <laughs> wait a second uh this means that that this is a question to it's a legitimate question to be yeah. asked and try to answer and so at that point, Dr. Teresa Crimmins contacted me. And that was, I want to say, at least three years ago, at least. It was certainly before the pandemic. And, and uh, we have, you know, U.S. National Phenology Network, uh, Dr. Teresa Crimmins, Erin Posthumus, and Samantha, Samantha Brewer, and I have been happily collaborating along with credit what it is doing i'm pretty sure uh the last count more more than 200 citizen scientists wow. spread around the usa uh thanks to this uh to you know promoting the redbot phenology project uh, specifically eastern north america redbot i believe they are going to begin also with the Western uh, uh, species, Circes oh, nice. uh, Cer occidentalis. Uh, the, the Eastern North America species is uh, 
Cersei's Canadensis, which, by the way, is not very common, I understand, in Canada. No. Anyways. <laughs> no, it kind of stops in PA. It doesn't even get into New York. <laughs> but 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 it is so abundant as an ornamental right right as an ornamental tree that if one looks at sites that report uh, this, uh, a distribution of trees in different parts of the world, it is in in England, it is in what we in what used to be called the former Soviet Union, um, and in many other places. Why the obvious reason is what you said that. At the beginning, Matt, it's a very pretty tree. Flowers earlier is not huge, so it's kind of manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, I I also want to acknowledge uh, volunteers at the National Museum of Natural History who has helped, who have, excuse me, helped with this uh, project as citizen uh, scientists and also to the numerous Penn State University, your campus undergraduates who have steadfastly uh, fast, uh, helped me on different aspects of the Redbot project, the bees, etc. Um, a lot of this work has been done at uh, Richard Nixon Park in York County. So I want to acknowledge, you know, give a big holler to Miss Kelsey Fry for always being um willing to be game and give me permission to <laughs> to make things that we do there. One of the yeah, this is just so fascinating how how these easily testable questions uh simply because someone makes a statement in the literature has led us to run little experiments, you know, little yeah. trials with undergraduates. So I I um already mentioned the phenology, which we are, of course, following, and that will take uh, uh, many years, you right. know, these cycles of boom and 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 bust. But two other questions are, number one, are red bots pollinated uh, by wind? Oh. Most of the literature says is insects. Uh, but some of the literature, much to our surprise, said, "Win." I said, "Wow, I, I don't believe it." But let's just put it to the test. Sure. Like you know, let's ask the question. Yeah. Like, like, like uh, some um, scientists like to say these days, "Let's interrogate nature." Right? <laughs> and so, what have we done? We just put bags with holes made out of a fabric called organza. So they are pretty, you know, pretty sturdy if you want to can send you photos as well. And so those holes allow wind and certainly pollen, which uh, ballpark is about 50 microns, so tiny, Ooh, tiny, yeah. tiny, tiny, yeah. that can easily cross those um, those holes to get into the flowers because what we did was to cover the the red bud flowers before they were flowers just when the when when one could see the little reddish the little magenta yeah. beginning to open so we just covered like 25 of of those branches or parts of those branches by with our medium sized organza bags and just close you know seal them as best as we could and just waited so as you can in as you can imagine, after several 
uh, months, the rest of the trees were full of full of uh, fruits with seeds, but those within the organza bags had nothing. Ah. No, not even not even a, a suggestion. So well. that immediately <laughs> told us, well, probably it's not the wind. Yeah. Probably is <laughs> is something else like like insects. So if you can imagine a so at Nixon Park, the area of studies about one eighth of a football field. So one eighth so is like a hundred. So it would be up to yard number 12, or let's just round. Imagine an, an area going from the goal line onto yard number 15, and then in the width of the width of the football um, uh, field. That's the area of a forest composed mainly of uh, red buds and black walnut hmm. that we have been uh, stoning at Nixon Park now for three full years going regularly. And I would like to ask you and ask the audience, how many species of bees have we found there? Oof. And my guess when I got started, I said, well, if I find 15 or 20, I will be happy. Ay, 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 how wrong I was. <laughs> we are we are not yet finished counting. We on my last count, I think we were somewhere around 70. Let's see, is it no 80? Let's see, if I remember correctly, 81. Oh man. I'm, I'm pretty sure <laughs> Holy 81. Cow. And, and remember, our our yellow, blue, white, and translucent cups are probably no higher than what I can reach with my Right. arms right? right about 10 feet or so <laughs> and so when i look up to the canopy i say oh my god and this is just a little bit of the park i used to say i am studying the bees of nixon park and i have learned a lot of humbleness in a hurry <laughs> that this is not a study of the bees of nixon park sadly it is the study of the piece of a little bit of Nixon Park uh, from about, <laughs> you know, three to four, you know, three meters, you know, three and a half meters to as to communicate in the metric system, about 10 feet down to the ground level. Jeez. What's up in the canopy? That's another story and that would require a lot a lot more work but which for which we have received permission by the way good <laughs> so so because of this enthusiasm for botany and the insects associated with plants um i decided some two years ago to finally because i have been trying to do this for a while go to a wonderful place in southwestern north carolina it's the highlands biological station ah, near and dear to Highl my heart <laughs> i love highlands <laughs> yeah oh my god i wasn't aware you have been oh there. yeah yeah i have actually done research at highlands so that's very, very special for me okay so as you know highlands north carolina is the wettest the rainiest place in eastern north america yeah it's moist down there yeah i didn't know what was to rain cat cat and dogs in the U.S. I knew, of <laughs> course, in 
in Puerto Rico, but not so much in the USA. And it can rain Ooh, big yeah. time there. Oh yeah. And so when I when I tell you know when I told uh, Mr. You know Mr. Sam Drogi, you know the big guy mm -hmm. that I consult with. Hey Sam, I'm going to the Highlands um, in southwestern North Carolina. Would you like me to get you a few bees? from you know from there and i remember vividly and with laughter that sam said jorge don't you know that the father of eastern north american bees dr theodore mitchell <laughs> visited highlands a hundred years ago <laughs> wow and he, i'm so sorry i didn't know that <laughs> oops and so, <laughs> overlooked and so, but that's okay <laughs> i didn't learn that at berkeley i <laughs> so, and so um that's how the Highlands project began. Nice. I and at, at first I just emailed the director, uh, Dr. Um, Jim Costa, and uh, the associate uh, director, um, Dr. Um, James. Um, excuse me, Jason Love. If I could have permission to collect a few bees um, for my presence there, which was about three or four for weeks i thought i love the place oh my god and i had the the great luck to have an undergraduate who helped me collect uh bees and we didn't collect very many remember we were also taking classes sure and um we collected uh, um about 20 you know about 50 something uh, specimens only uh, but there were 23 or so species i just don't remember and they seem to like me there and i like the place very 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 much oh my god <laughs> so beautiful and so <laughs> peaceful uh that um i was informed or i was uh, asked jorge don't you know that we offer monies to researchers, you know, to researchers <laughs> to work here? I said, no, I, as oh. usual, no, I didn't know. Thank you for telling me. Yeah. And so uh, for year number two, I applied and got funding and uh, stayed 12 weeks there taking courses oh, nice. and uh, doing research and then returned for about a week in October. Um after I got well from my only bout, knock on wood, with COVID, I have oh. been vaccinated, I believe, now six times. <laughs> Glad you're um, <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It was not fun. No. Um, but um, even though I went a little bit late for the season, um, uh, I was supposed to return in September when there is a second bloom of flowering plants. Um, I returned in october i remember vividly eagerly eagerly after 12 hours of driving <laughs> which is what i what i have to uh, uh to do every time i go there but with a lot of joy um i didn't stop by my room or by my office first i have uh, they grant me a very nice office space there for which i'm tremendously grateful but instead of going to take a nap, 
or to <laughs> my office, I went to the pollination garden. Nice. The, <laughs> and there were there were still some flowers, but the only thing I wanted to know is, are there some flowers and are there bees? And when I saw the bees, I said, yes. <laughs> I can do my work. <laughs> I can do work. And I stayed, I was supposed to be there for week and a half, maybe two, but I could only go there for one week. But by golly, did I, did I get work done? Nice. And so right now, at the, uh, so when we began this project, there were 44 species reported, if I remember correctly, by Theodor Mitchell. And and now we have 97. Dang. And I just put a proposal to return for 12 more weeks, but rather than concentrating them in um, in May to through July, I want to do some in May, some in July, a little bit in us uh, in uh, September, and then weather permitting because normally uh, November, December, January. Uh, tend to be colder month, but as we all know, sometimes a warm spell comes in, and that would be the signal for me in the middle of the winter to dash to the <laughs> highlands and see if there is anything flying. Yeah, and uh, maybe in March as well. So that's the the bee plant interactions. Another project with the redbud um, has been. Um, whether the uh, seeds are wind dispersed. Now, if, if we look at the, yeah, again, one of those assertions in the literature, in the scholarly literature by serious people, serious colleagues, and I said, how can this be? And once more, we interrogated nature and asked the question, are seeds wind dispersed? And the first thing I, I uh, pulled from was my own experience of by this time, four years visiting Nixon Park and paying attention to the red bots everywhere mm. I go. And I have seldom seen the the seed pods open and uh, let alone releasing the seeds. Mostly, and I, I, I discussed this with colleagues who pay attention to uh, red bots, mostly the seed pods fall Meaning, and by the way, the seed pot is the fruit. Right, uh, fall on the ground with that, with the seeds, and I imagine that through decomposition or uh, wear and tear from from the uh, you know from the uh, weather, uh, they eventually they meaning the seed pots get decomposed, and uh, some of the seeds begin to germinate. Uh, after after a, a while, because they have a pretty hardy uh, seed coat. Yeah, these are the the seeds of uh, red buds, and um, we decided that probably what the author meant uh, by that assertion that the seeds are wind dispersed is that the seeds within the seed pods, you know, the whole ah, combo, so to speak, okay. gets wind dispersed, and so with the Tremendous help of an honor student at Penn State York, uh, Miss uh, Kathleen Ottaviano. We have been working, and I can send you images of this as as well. Um, simply using her 
hair blower, meaning Miss Otaviano's hair blower, because as you as you saw, I don't have much hair to <laughs> blow on to dry. Um, <laughs> so we just created a pulse of air. Of course, it's not it's not like nature that air comes, you know, that the that the wind comes like a not necessarily like like a wind, but it's not just a little pulse of sure. of of air, but in the absence of uh, a wind, a wind tunnel that maybe the jet propulsion lab in Pasadena <laughs> or NASA right. could furnish, he said, "Okay, let's just try something simple and see how far we go." So uh, we have uh, tested these, um, you know, seat pods and um, on at a variety of wind uh, speeds measured with a very very good instruments hmm. uh, instrument that. We have, and they really don't disperse very much. Okay. Um, in comparison to really wind dispersed seeds, like for example Asclepias, yeah, or dandelion, those things disperse by wind. I mean, we can see them floating. Yeah. It's <laughs> we, we can obvious. go do that experiment this summer if we want to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and so uh, one final thing we have been doing with. Um, Redbots is explored um, one of their insect pests of of the of the seed pods and specifically of the seeds, and um, um, we actually suggested the of the so-called official common name for the redbot seed beetle. So hmm. um, that's that's actually the official nice common name of the end of of, of this uh, herbivore um, ac according to the entomological society of america and of canada nice don't ask me to <laughs> to repeat the common name in french no worries that's that's <laughs> another story for some other day okay. maybe off the record because that's uh a funny one okay. so many of these uh, projects once more have been completed at nixon park and I have to thank wholeheartedly Kelsey Fry. I have to thank also numerous undergraduates. I, it's beginning to become difficult for uh, me to remember all of their names at Penn State York who have helped me through the years with the Redbot Phenology Project. Um, uh, even uh, sometimes some of the police officers at Nixon Park when they are <laughs> making the rounds to check what's happening in every building over the weekends, which is when, when we do these experiments so that there is not much wind yeah. and not much disturbance, they become interested and they help us. <laughs> so great. they are And um, one of the officers is, is not only good with the excellent with the seed dispersal experiments, but she is phenomenal pinning bees. Nice. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I have to thank also Kelsey Sams from, so that's the other Kelsey that helps me from <laughs> Penn State York, who, um, especially during the pandemic, when, uh, when uh, there were so few people on campus and it was very quiet, we did quite a bit of of work um you know there and um what other things am i doing uh these days well 
for now over over 10 you know 10 years i have been running a journal that i created in a little publishing company nice. called life the excitement of biology i want to try to send you the link yes please um i think um what what attracted me to do this is to try to be a more welcoming venue for good papers uh including hmm. of course uh papers by undergraduates oh, good. Uh, so that really keeps me busy doing something that i really like and more recently um at uh, penn state york uh there is a, a a greenhouse and for years i have been really desiring that some action happens there that <laughs> it becomes the most beautiful campus uh, on the face of the earth, as I like to, you know, hyperbolically say. <laughs> and um, indeed, the greenhouse is uh, supposedly going to be repaired over the summer, which um, makes me very happy. Great. And what makes me even happier is that I dare to announce to the undergraduates, uh, would you be interested in creating a club that concentrates on plants. Yes. And I got uh, I got a few replies and I said, oh, my God, this is going to work. That's encouraging. <laughs> and I wish you would know, Matt, how happy I am every time we meet, which is every Friday at noon. No. Uh, we meet the few of us. You know, we are just we are just getting started. See those younger souls younger because <laughs> i am forever young for sure yes. and having so much love and enthusiasm for plants wanting to do things wanting to spread the word about plants so i i just want to use this opportunity to say thank you to you know undergraduates at pensit you are for being interested in the world of plants yeah we live surrounded we depend on plants you know uh and for a lot of our uh, a lot of our uh, nourishment. So all of these experiences have have made me live my life in such a way that I am not looking forward to retirement. No. I like to say very, very candidly that if I ever become senile, then it is time for me to retire, you know, for sure. <laughs> but Just until like in that boxing, point, <laughs> I keep, I intend to keep That's teaching, doing research, uh, interacting with students, undergraduates and graduate students, serving as editor and publisher of my own journal. And rather than waiting until retirement to so-called enjoy life, <laughs> my philosophy is very different. I like to enjoy life every single day to the to the yeah, maximum. Totally, and um, always stay um, curious, ask questions. Don't be afraid of asking questions. Of course, we don't have to be rude, etc. We no. just ask in a civilized way, but ask questions. Yeah, and um, I just want to thank you, Matt, for this opportunity, and oh, of course, and, and thank everyone who has helped me through my career i could there are so <laughs> many many people especially librarians 
but I just I just want to say thank you uh, wholeheartedly. Oh, of course. For um, you know for this and uh, if you or your uh, members of your audience wish to fire questions, I'm sure we can arrange that and plug <laughs> my my uh, email and we can have uh, conversations via email and or if you want me to return and talk about some other topic yeah. uh that would be fine with me oh jorge this has been truly wonderful you're an inspiration and it just goes to show you where asking questions can get you you should be open yeah. to questions and you mm -hmm. are but it, it's just amazing that so many of what you so much of what you just talked about started with a question yeah and, and someone's unwillingness to answer to the to the lack of data and and here we are you can't take things for granted go out mm -hmm. be curious test things and and it's rare that you have someone that has carried so much enthusiasm throughout the entire process because some people get bogged down others are just bean counters trying to pad their cv but it is so true in your words that you see just the raw passion and curiosity for the living world that it, it is truly inspirational so thank you so much for taking time to talk to us about it very well. Thank you very much for uh, receiving me, Matt. Thank of you. Of course. Thank you very much. Well, you are welcome back, of course. But in the meantime, hang in there, stay healthy, and just keep experimenting. Keep exploring. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Phenomenal stuff. What a wonderful wonderful human being. I can't thank Jorge enough for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk with us. And boy, by the sounds of it, that is a busy schedule. Of course, all of the relevant links for everything we talked about can be found in the show notes for this episode. And as a great citizen science opportunity, consider checking out the Redbud Phenology Project. They really need your input, your data. It's a great way to support a really cool scientific endeavor. Once again, indefensiveplants.com slash podcast has all of the relevant links you need to learn more. You can also support the show by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash indefensiveplants. I literally could not and would not be doing this without the support of my patrons. So thank you to everyone that has kicked in thus far. Go check it out and consider becoming a patron today. Otherwise, hit that subscribe button and keep checking back in because that is it for me for this week. But as always, there are so many more conversations just over the horizon. But until next time, hang in there, stay healthy, and get outside if you can. This is your host, Matt, signing out. Adios, everyone. <laughs>